Hello, everybody. Welcome to the mailbag. It's bloody lovely to have you with me and Andy Brassel. Hello. How are you? Oh, you were slow off the mark there, Andy. Very slow off the mark. Was I? Mm-hmm. You weren't slow off the mark, though, in, uh, in Luke's game this week. But for those <laughs> who haven't heard that... We'll, uh, we'll leave that there. Um, but we are, yes, rummaging around the mailbag, seeing uh, what delights we have to ask Andy Abrassel. Uh, Andy, the draw for the Champions League has been made, but we're going to get to that in, in a short while because I'd like to bring this to the table from our man, DJ Chubby Bubble, who's a regular, hey. of course. We, 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 he's a good man, is old Bubble. He knows his onions, and he's asking... Um, using Jaden Sancho's success at Dortmund as a platform, asking whether it's seen as a good thing uh, or, or a bad thing for young British players. And he goes on to say, are clubs on the continent going to continue mining English youth systems for gems? Or do you think English clubs will start trying harder to keep these players? It's a good question, Andy. It's a good question from the DJ. It is a good question. Um, we're calling him Bubble to be on the safe side, aren't we? Because we don't want to offend by calling him Chubby, I'm guessing. Is that correct? I mean, yeah, he has called himself that. Um, but I think it's yeah. sort of, it reminds me of Roy Chubby Brown too much. And, and, I, and I don't like those memories. So um, so DJ you know, or Bubble, I'm going with. I'm, I'm going to actually call him DJ Chubby Bubble because I'm thinking, mm. especially with our OTC background, if we end up calling him Bubble, it's like when people call... Um, Jabby Alonso, Alonso, or people call Luis Enrique, Enrique, which is just not mm. correct. Is Luis Enrique, um, Luis? If you're a close personal friend, okay, I'm going to go with that approach. I'm going to call him Chubby. <laughs> there, there we go. Um, go on, Andy. I, I, I think it's it's a really it's a really interesting question because um, I've said before, and I will say again, and I will say until I'm blue in the face. Uh, Jaden Sancho can't really be taken as either um, proof that uh, young English players are of an extraordinarily outstanding level or proof that um, English players will always succeed, succeed abroad or in the Bundesliga or um, Bundesliga clubs should get loads more English players because Jaden Sancho is exceptional. I think that's yeah. worth underlining from from the start. So to talk about him as a, a standard bearer, I understand it can be tempting, um, but I don't think it's it's really fair because you're talking about someone who's proved time and time again and will prove whether he plays for Manchester United or Borussia Dortmund next season that he is a player who is 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 not common of other players' experience because he is an absolutely exceptional talent who will get yeah. better and is, is already producing on, on an unbelievable level. Um, that said, he has obviously opened the floodgates to a, a certain degree. And I think you look at um, not just Schalke's purchase of Rabi Matondo from Manchester City, but definitely the feeling that fans inside and outside Germany have had with, with Matondo of because he's British, um, because he um, comes from uh, Manchester City, the similarities have, have drawn us to thinking he should be the next Jaden Sancho, which is not possible. I think um, he's, he's really been par so far. Uh, Matondo I think when you look at him as a teenager arriving at an absolutely massive club he's had some great moments 
He's had some not so great moments. There's been a lot of inconsistency in between. And that is absolutely par, I think, of of what you would expect. Um, I think he could turn into a a really good player for Schalke, not an era-defining player, but definitely a good player for for, for Schalke. And I think we always have to bear that in mind when we, we talk about larger trends. But of course, a trailblazer can define what we think of as reasonable expectation, just like we expect a lot from footballers in general because of Messi and Ronaldo, which is not a reasonable way of judging footballers, is it? Um, I think in terms of um, encouraging players, though, I think a a level on which you can um, look at it and compare and see what other players might get from it is is the human angle of it. Now, um, I think if you know anything about Jadon Sancho's career and you know how he um, took the the step to leave Kennington, uh, where he grew up in South London, to to go and board at Harefield. Pardon? A lot of talent around. A lot of talent around that part of London. Yeah, oh, yeah. There was there was an amazing Talksport documentary about the cage football yeah. in South London, um, going back about a year. That was that was fantastic, and um, obviously very very close to, to to my heart as well. I'm I'm from just down the road, and yeah, that um, yeah, he took the. Um, the, the very mature step to to, to go and board at Harefield when he uh, signed for Watford and then um, go and play for Manchester City. It shows he's not afraid of of leaps even before he he got to Dortmund. Um, but I think it, it definitely works, and we saw that before with Japanese players in the, in, in the Premier League. Um, sorry, Japanese players in the Bundesliga. Um, that um, it, it works from both ways in that um, compatriots think, yeah, um, someone from my background has succeeded, so I'll give it a go. And also clubs looking to mine that market more. And I think from the player's perspective, it's, it's definitely a good thing. I think if you look at um, some of the best international sides of, of, of recent times, um Playing abroad is, is is a great experience for for any player, pretty much, and um, gives them a whole new level of um, obviously cultural and emotional tools off the field, which helps around them as a as a person. And I think that's very important um, to be a more rounded personality and to be able to deal with pressure and and, and deal with situations. Uh, obviously, on pitch. Uh, you're learning a completely different footballing culture as well. So that's um, that's a, a, a real plus too. I think it's clear from the Bundesliga club's perspective that um, they've not given up on the idea of going out and, and, and getting more young Premier League players. I, I don't think they feel that anything is going to change, certainly not in the short to medium term. Um, in terms of... Um, players that they can maybe give more first-team football and um, that there will be a receptive audience of players who are interested to to come over and have a go now, which is obviously the the, the catalyst, for example, for the Jude Bellingham transfer. I think the fact that Sancho has, has gone over there has succeeded. Um, there's a pathway to elite-level English football. Um, should he want to come back, like, four or five years down the line, maybe not even that long, depending on how quickly he develops. And um, we've heard, like say, Max Ebel of um, Borussia Mönchengladbach, the sporting director there, sort of say how talented this generation of young English players is. I think um, the Bundesliga and the Premier League are always quite compatible 
in terms of tempo and and style the way that atmosphere really affects the game obviously that's something that feels a long way away now we don't have supporters in stadiums at, at the moment mm-hmm. but it's, it's definitely something that affects the, the 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 style of football um so i think whereas the physical side of the game has always meant that sort of kinship in recent years particularly between um uh, Liga and uh the premier league i think now we're seeing more in terms of certainly because the Bundesliga is a step up from that. And secondly, mm-hmm. because um, of um, the increased exposure of the Bundesliga over here, yeah. I, th- I think we're seeing them being quite useful bedfellows. Um, of, of course, Chelsea... The countries are probably more similar than, say, England and France, you might say, as well. So those... Yeah. Somebody living in London, you know, if they went to, say... Uh, a city like Berlin, they might feel. Mm. I, I certainly do if, I, if I've been there. But do you think though that the English club, because Pep Guardiola wanted uh, Jaden Sancho to stay, mm. but it's like the cat's out of the bag now with, with some of these younger players. They're going, no, I want to go and play. I've seen what can be achieved, and so 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 clubs, you know, so say take Mason Greenwood for example. He's pulling up trees at Manchester United. Mm. He, he could have been one of those players that that, that go off abroad and Manchester United go, oh, right, okay. Now, I know everything's a gamble. You can't just say, oh, right, well, we'll keep all the young players just in case uh, we have a, a Sancho or a Greenwood in there. Yeah. And of course, you know, you, you, you could have a lot of players that, that never get anywhere near. In fact, in fact, the majority of players will never get anywhere, there, anywhere near that level. Sadly, that's just the way it is. Um, but will they think, right, we're going to have to give more game time to youngsters? We will invest in youth a bit more because the way the world is, certainly right now in terms of finances, but but generally as well with the sort of tipping, you know, I know FFP has done a bit, but it has its limitations. If you're a club, you'd be well, I mean, I mean you'd be wise to do this at any point in the history of football, but especially now think, right, look, invest in the youth and make sure we're nurturing because actually if he does become good, we can sell him off. But if he if he does become good, we don't miss out on him. I, I guess really the elephant in the room, Marcus, is, is Brexit mm. because we don't know how that's going to affect um, the ability of Premier League clubs to bring all but the most exceptionable overseas talents here. You know, it's something that might prove costly and expensive. Alternatively, if we're looking at um, immigration rules um, and free movement rules being reciprocated, um, mm-hmm. Obviously, there are a lot of Brits currently living and working on the on on the continent who are um, a bit worried about their futures, and understandably so. It might be that it's not so easy for English players to to go over to the Bundesliga in a year or two. The, the fact is, we just don't know. We don't know how it's going to shake out. And any, anyone who um, is saying definitively how it's going to pan out is using one or perhaps several leaps of faith and a, a little bit of assumption in, in between as well, really. Um, so I, I guess that's that's part of it. I mean, it always makes sense, of course, to, to, to bring through your own players and to have that understanding of um, what a club means and, and what it means to its community. I mean, it's something that I've mentioned before that Emilio Butrigueno always said when he was the sporting director of Real Madrid that, you know, you need... Um, the Cantera products, the um, the Youth Academy products to, to to supplement the superstars. I mean, obviously from Real Madrid's case in the first Galacticos era, that was partly a financial thing. But also you do need um, 
to have a sort of sense of self about the club and that's 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 very very important um but you know this idea that um Bundesliga clubs are really into English players and especially young English players I don't think that's going to change and I think you look at say um Rian Brewster he, he was a candidate he was someone who Bruce, you mentioned Gladbach tried pretty hard to get before he signed a new contract with Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, he's done very well on, on on loan at Swansea, particularly in recent times. I, I wonder if the Bundesliga is a sensible next move for him, actually. Yeah, Be- there you because go. because you, you you look at it and how is he really going to get more than ten games a season for Liverpool, even if he goes back, unless there's a severe injury to one of those front players and maybe even not then it's, it's, it's going to be difficult and you know I, th- I think there's there's still a lot to recommend it Well Andy that leads us uh, very neatly I think you'll agree to the quarterfinal draw in full for the Champions League Real Madrid or Manchester City will play Leon or Juventus RB Leipzig against uh, Atletico Atletico Madrid. Forgive my H there. Uh, Napoli or Barcelona versus Chelsea or Bayern. Do <laughs> people pick up on it, Andy? Uh, fortunately, Sporting Lisbon, Sporting Club de Portugal are not in there. Uh, Atlant- Atalanta versus PSG. I probably shouldn't say other clubs that aren't in the draw while I'm giving the draw. That's why I never get the call uh, from UEFA, quite frankly. Um, it couldn't last any here. longer, Marcus. It <laughs> couldn't last any longer. <laughs> No place for Fulham in the quarterfinal draw. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> what's he talking about Fulham for? Oh, you'll see. Um, anyway, you know the names, you know the teams, you know the lineup. Andy, what smacks you around the face when you see that draw? Well, I have to say the excitement of maybe. Uh, we can't say smaller team. Can you say smaller team? You can say smaller. I mean, none of them are small. Um, the idea of a smaller club making it to semi-finals and beyond, uh, I I think is 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 quite a beguiling one. And clearly, this isn't a format that's going to be repeated season after season after season. No. Um, firstly, because the big clubs simply won't have it. <laughs> um, and secondly, because I, I think you're looking. In terms of um, scheduling, receipts, it's, it's all a bit tricky. And creating space in the calendar, of course, for something like this would would, would be very tricky. But I think to be enjoyed as a, as a one-off, it, it, it looks brilliant. Um, I think if you were um, Atletico or Atalanta, you're yeah. not particularly displeased with this. And I, I know yeah. Atalanta... Well, you PSG, oh, Andy... Well, I, I think the thing is, you PSG will be looking a, at that, thinking, "Hang on a minute here, we they've got a real chance now." I mean, it's it's okay to say at a, at a, call Atalanta a smaller mm. club in in the context of this, of course. But Paris Saint Germain, as much as I wouldn't want to see it, they're playing Atalanta. They're they're, they're clearly a bigger. You'd argue, well, you would. They're a, they have better players than Atalanta, although we love what's been going yeah. on uh, yeah. it, it, there in Italy. Uh, Atletico Madrid play RB Leipzig. That is a sterner test, but Atleti will be thinking we can have these with their experience and again with with some of the players they have. So you could be in a position on paper, but it seldom does it work. Well, it doesn't always work out like that in football with Atleti versus PSG in the semi final. And both sides, Atleti will be thinking, right, we've got a real chance to finally win this bloody thing. The same for PSG. I think for Atalanta, what works is the, the, the fact that it's loads of one-off games. 
Um, mm. the, 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 the drawback for them is their defence. But of course, Paris will hardly have played. They'll have played like two proper games in mm-hmm. what, what n- near on five months by, by the time this game comes around. I think that's an enormous impediment to Paris. Um, in terms of like before going back to the the, the, the remaining last 16 ties, I, I would leave like Leon Juventus out of that because there are clear favourites in, in that before we even get to the conditioning aspect of it. Um, mm-hmm. But but the Atletico point, I, I, I think, is, is, is a great one because I, th- I think that the scheduling of this tournament and the fact that it comes after all the league games, we always think of the Champions League as the sort of pinnacle, don't we, of, yeah. of, of football in in any state, really. But the fact is, I, I think it might be a, a quite problematic tournament because we're quite problematic finishing of of tournament because we we look at um, like World Cups and European Championships at the moment, and you think, well, it's it's not, it's not the players the reason that, that that a lot of it falls flat. It's it's the workload and it's the positioning in the calendar. So I tend to think with. 60 plus games in the leg in the legs plus an unscheduled stop in the season this might be a not fantastic tournament football wise even though the format is set up for it to be really exciting this is just the sort of competition that atletico could um grind their way through just like yeah. france did the world cup in 2018 just like portugal did the euros in 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 2016 you add in the fact they've got leipzig um they didn't finish the season brilliantly. There's no Timo Werner. I think that gives them an enormous head start. And I, I know it's hard to back against Bayern because they've been absolutely irresistible. Um, but but I, I, I agree with you. I, I think Atletico are quite an interesting pick. Yeah, I mean, obviously Bayern have still got to play Chelsea. They're three 0 up, so that doesn't get uh, discounted. But but the other games though, they, they are gonna, they are going to be one off games, aren't they, in the semi final? Mm. As I understand yeah. it. And in the quarterfinals, if there has been a first leg, then that's taken into account, of course. But is it a one? It's a one-off game for the quarterfinals as well. Yes, that's right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, like I said, to me, that that weights it towards not yeah. exactly a minnow, but a, a team like Atalanta, like they've got far better chance of beating Paris over one game than they would over two. Um, I think they can maybe get away with some of their defensive caprices in that context. And also, to me, as I said, it's all about rhythm. The fact that Paris Saint-Germain will have... Well, they'll have, they'll have played two cup finals by then, I suppose you can say, because they'll have played the yeah. Coupe de France and the Coupe de la Ligue. But those will be the only two serious matches they've played since March. Whereas Atalanta, I mean, they are flying in terms of form. I mean, yeah. you, you could you could genuinely argue that they're the best team in Italy at the moment. You are. you really could in, in terms of uh, <laughs> yeah the, the teams at the top are not doing a good job of, uh, of of you know in terms of results and performances at the moment crying out loud no no absolutely and you know you look at the attacking options they've got as well as you said Marcus like the the players that Paris have on paper there's absolutely no argument but then you look at the way that Atalanta click together. They've got an enormous amount of attacking options as well. You know, if they leave Ilicic or Muriel or basically anyone but Papu Gomez on the bench, and they're, yeah. they're, they're still golden. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Um, 
Juventus, Gigi Buffon. Could he get a winner's medal, Andy? No, time will tell. Time <laughs> will tell. Uh, I think they'll get beaten in the final again and it'll be gutting for him. If they, were in the fi- if they were in the final and they were, I don't know, say three or four goals up with a couple of minutes to go, you'd bring him on for a little cameo, wouldn't you? I mean, it's slightly disrespectful to the opposition, but wouldn't you not? Would you? Even if it was as a centre forward, I mean, you know, I, I no, think, that, I think that would be to, horrifically disrespectful. You'd have to give it a go. Well, when you were talking the final, you wouldn't well, say you, you wouldn't have Chesney. When you when you were talking before about um, you think they'd get to the final and uh, mm-hmm. lose again, I was just about to say you have a bin for a heart, Marcus Speller. but it, it turns out you have a heart of gold, really. Italian adventure continues into the quarterfinals. The Champions League debutants have cruised through in just their second European campaign in 29 years. All right then, Andy, let's finish with a question from our other friendly regular, Lee R. Lee. Good to to have you uh, back among the questions. Um, Lee is asking about Bayern Munich's second string, who uh, won the title in the uh, Bundesliga 3 or the, uh, what would it be? Dry uh, Bundesliga. Is that what it's called? Dritter. Dritter. Dritter Bundesliga. Dritter Sports. Um, fine chocolate. Uh, and Liar is saying, is there any resentment in Germany towards Bayern's second string dominating in the third tier or is it generally accepted that they play in the lowest national league? Well, I, th- I think the discussion over whether... B teams should play in the lower leagues is something that will resurface uh, over the next little while, particularly with the tight financial times. Um, we'll come to that in a minute and we'll, we'll, we'll look first at how um, the, the, these these clubs are a part of it, really, because um, it, it is very much part of the um, wide tap, wider tapestry of, of, of German football. Um, when I went over to uh, Fortuna Köln, uh, which was at the end of February, uh, we we didn't at the match on um, lower league stuff as well. Um, Luke and I, we we um, as well as doing um, Fortuna Düsseldorf, uh, Dortmund, and Köln between us, I took the opportunity to go and see Fortuna Köln, who play in the the, the, the fourth tier before I went to FC Köln, and. Um, we combined that with our, our our trip to Borkham and we had a terrific time at those. Um, I had a terrific time in a gale on an open terrace at Fortuna Köln. But the reason I bring that up is because um, Fortuna were playing um, Schalke's B team, um, Schalke's wow. second team. And I really enjoy that. As, as a neutral, before we get to how German fans or some German fans feel about it, because I wouldn't profess to speak for all German fans, um, the, the thing that I particularly enjoy about that, and part of part of it has got to be a novelty value, but you're looking at players generally who've come through Schalke's um, academy, a very, very famous uh, Knappenschmede academy, and... Um, they're playing in this sort of relatively ramshackle ground against some hungry amateurs. And, <laughs> you know, you're just thinking, oh, look at mummy's little princes getting the run around by the rough <laughs> boys. I really love that. I quite enjoy it. 
<laughs> and um you know i guess you know if you've if you've made it through uh uh the dritta liga or the regional liga then you know you're, you're a man you've got hairs on your chest but um it, it, it is part of the football landscape and what what i find really interesting about it and what is a is a positive thing for for, for some Bundesliga fans, we know a lot of Bundesliga fans are, are, are traditionalists, um, and um, that is to a large extent how they've been able to preserve the integrity of the Bundesliga experience in terms of atmosphere, beer, ticket prices, reasonable ticket prices, um, kickoff times. They've been able to um, biff the Monday game going into the next TV deals that, that starts mm. in 2021. Um, and for for some Bundesliga fans, um, you know the, the ones who follow, uh, I should say, some of the the second team Bundesliga fans. So the ones who follow Bayern's second team, or the ones that follow Dortmund's second team. There are ultra groups who follow just them because they feel it's more consistent to um, what what they would see as a traditional football experience. They, they feel that football um, at the top level has become very commercial. Obviously, I would say to them, "We'll come and see it in England." In that case, if you think that <laughs> that's the case, but um, I, I think that's that's quite interesting that there's this sort of outlet for some of those big club supporters. And you know, we saw what well, I saw at Fortuna Köln when you had some travelling Schalke fans. There were um, some who'd who were obviously going to the game later because I should have said actually um, before. Uh, after Fortuna Köln Schalke, it was FC Köln versus Schalke. So if you were quick enough as a Schalke fan, you could go and see both games. Yeah. But you know, there, there, there are ultras out there who feel it's um, a more consistent, grassroots, traditional experience. However, what was and I think you feel that closeness to the to the team as well for some of them. You know, they're able to. Um, chat with the coaching staff over the fence and you know th- there's a bit more familiarity because they're, they're, there's less of them and I completely understand that um the reason I, th- I said I think this discussion will come up again is something that um the excellent journalist for Deutsche Welle Matt Ford pointed out in a, in a piece that he wrote about um Bayern's second team uh winning the title and um he mentioned about how under the current uh, Dritte Liga a broadcast contract there's 16 million euros between uh, 20 clubs uh, now of course for Bayern this will be chicken feed but but for those other clubs who live absolutely hand to mouth you think well you know shouldn't shouldn't there be another club getting that money why should Bayern be getting that money Bayern have already got more money than God and I wonder if there will be <laughs> a, a little bit of resentment bred at that because this is money that means an awful lot in a, in a post COVID-19 environment and shouldn't regional football elsewhere be be encouraged and shouldn't the the wealth be sort of spread around I, I, it's, it's interesting another thing that Matt talked about in his piece is that the, the fact that you know, maybe during um, the, the hiatus, those uh, buying second team players um, were able to go into Sabinestrasse where um, Bayern play and have the benefit of these incredible 
top of the range facilities mm. whereas you know the, the the training plans for a lot of the other players in those leagues were absolutely peripatetic at, at, at best and you know you, you would understand if some sort of resentment was 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 bred from that i mean you know i, th- I think in the, in the case of Bayern, obviously it's a, it's exceptional um but it's something that could be said for for dortmund and for, for schalke to a, a lesser extent the fact that you know you look at some of the players who've appeared for the Bayern second team you look at someone like uh michael cuisance uh, the frenchman who was bought for what 15 million uh, from yeah. Borussia Mönchengladbach and you know it's it's not exactly even handed and for a lot of Bundesliga fans a lot of German football fans there's there's already a feeling that that's unfair because you know you know you've you've got um teams of players who are you know not elite level players coming up against what, going back to what I was saying about the, the, the Schalke second team at the beginning, sort of these guys who are, are pitched to be absolute stars of the future and are sort of, you know, academy products from the the absolute top academies out there. Mm. And in the mind boggles, quite frankly. Quite bloody frankly. But um, <laughs> I always find it, to be honest with you, Andy, I, and I'll be honest with the listeners, when you kind of... You you have sort of that in depth knowledge, and when when you say all that, I I don't really know what to say after you finish your answer. I sort of go, <laughs> yes, further reading, uh, and then we move on. <laughs> um, I think this is Andy, isn't this the point, Marcus, where you um, out yourself as a as a buying second team supporter. <laughs> I think that's the, I think that's what it is. Yeah, no, I'm more of a Real Madrid B type of guy. If we're going on, <laughs> Castilla man, born and bred, Castilla. Absolutely, um, yeah. I Fulham B. Full. I think they're just called Fulham with bibs. Um, <laughs> uh, we've come to the end of our time on the mailbag, uh, Andy. A pleasure as always, uh, picking your brains on on such important footballing matters. Thank you very much uh, for getting your your questions. An absolute in. pleasure as always. Thank you, Ramblers. Absolutely. Um, do get your questions in. As I say, any time, any day of the week, get your questions in. We will scoop them up. And then Andy, and then I'll feed them to Andy. You don't need to force feed them because he because he wants uh, he, he enjoys it. You know, so there's no force necessary. Um, but I shall uh, delicately pop them in Andy's mouth, and he will chew the fat and spit out the bones. So uh, do uh, look forward to that next week, of course. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, and thank you for that absolutely disgusting culinary uh, <laughs> metaphor. Puree is better when in doubt. then there is doubt thank you very much everybody see you next week this was a Stakhanov production